everybody, and you're very welcome back to yet another episode of Ireland's uh, film and TV podcast, FNI Rap Chat, on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Uh, uh, just a massive thank you to everybody who's been coming to our classes and events and seminars recently. Uh, and uh, in relation to some FNI news that's coming up, we have a couple of classes and events coming up in the near future. So if you keep an eye on our social networks, uh, Facebook.com forward slash Film Network Ireland, Instagram forward slash Film Network Ireland and FNI underscore film at FNI underscore film. We have a a brilliant event coming up called Pull Focus, which is sponsored by the Five Lamps Brewery and it's in the brand new Camden uh, building uh, and bar on Camden Street, Ironically, um, so we have a wonderful pitching event. So we'll have a number of filmmakers there that have been working on a number of ten-page uh, scripts and uh, projects that they'll be pitching on the night. So there'll be at least twenty, uh, by my last count, that'll be pitching to producers and filmmakers and everybody else that comes along. So uh, uh, there's a, it's been selling out really, really, really well so far. So try and book a ticket as soon as you can. So it'll be. There'll also be a panel, uh, which we will announce in the next couple of days. So there's a pitching, uh, points, and uh, a panel. So all the P's, uh, and also the two Pauls from FNI Rap Chat will be there on the night also. So it's a great opportunity to network, and it's also a great opportunity to, uh, to you know, potentially get involved in a project on some level. Uh, leave any of your preconceptions you have about this at the door. It's the best place for them. And, uh, you know, you might meet someone you might like as well as work with. Uh, so come along to that. Incidentally, we have a uh, Make a Scene, our class, our showreel scene uh, class for actors, which is coming up, uh, which we're going to announce in the coming days. So do keep an eye on our networks for that. It's a great opportunity to get a cinematic showreel scene shot to a really good standard uh, in, in collaboration with our partners at Dublin Business School. So keep an eye out for that. Today, today... Uh, today we are joined by um, somebody who I think is incredibly valuable for filmmakers, uh, more specifically actors, but performers working on any level. And it is uh, somebody who, um, from an altruistic point of view and mindfulness point of view, uh, provides a service uh, in terms of voice, but also, as I said, well-being and the intricacies of looking after the self I guess, um, is someone that we've been trying to get on for a while, is uh, Helena Walsh. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for having me. It's Delighted great. to be here. Finally, we got you! Yay! Yay! It's been a bit of a yeah, journey. It's been a bit, in a right? Sense. Yeah. yeah. We're delighted to have you on. Um, Maybe just from an audience uh, perspective, you might just tell us a little bit about what exactly it is that you do. Okay, so predominantly I am a voice and acting coach for um, film and theatre for actors. Yeah. Um, And I guess I've been more or less from the moment I trained, I've been in the industry maybe 30, nearly 30 years. Um, And what I've become very interested in, in particular in the last decade, if not, yeah, more or less decade, is well-being and resiliency for artists. Mm. And how that came about was I began to notice about 10 years ago and it became chronically worse as the years went by was people no longer was it easy for them to breathe. 
And I was doing this work called Fitzmaurice voice work, which works quite deeply in an embodied way with the imagination. Right. And it's work by an extraordinary woman called Catherine Fitzmaurice, who grew up on a farm in Kerry, <laughs> and then was whisked off to London and studied at Central, and then kind of created this body of work that was way, way, way ahead of her time. Mm -hmm. She was working deeply intuitively. And then she, because it was so embodied, I think it wasn't something that the UK was ready for at the time. And she went to the States and has been there for, you know, 40, maybe 45, 50 years. She's in her 80s now. Wow. So her work uh, brought a lot of where East meets West together. Okay. And she'd studied a lot of the kind of more traditional trainings in voice. But then she began to realize, hmm, there's something still quite tight in the actor's instrument. It's, I don't feel the authenticity. Mm. The words don't appear to be their own. So she started to study bioenergetics. And bioenergetics is kind of where Peter Levine, uh, the work that he does in somatic experiencing, and she worked with that for about five years, and she started to introduce that into her work with her actors. And hey, presto, all of a sudden... Everybody was getting work. There we go. <laughs> they were all employed. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so she and she went into healing and shiatsu and um, deeply into all different kinds of strands because she's eternally curious. And then when I came to her work, I... I had worked in five or six different disciplines in voice um, with amazing teachers. But when I met her work, I just went, oof, wow, okay, this, this, is, this is incredible work. Mm -hmm. And so I brought it, you know, when I started in Ireland, I began to realize, ooh, there's a lot of stress, anxiety, trauma in mm. the system. And It's I, Ireland, for God's there sake. There we go. Welcome. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Bring it on. <laughs> we got it. I'll um, fix you. Yeah, well... Don't know if it's about fixing, maybe using it, uh, integrating it. I'm not mm. sure we can fix and solve it, but yeah. So, e so easing it. Easing it, yeah. Make, making it more yeah, digestible, maybe, yeah, in yeah, a yeah, sense. Sure. So then um, I started to work in something called organic intelligence, which is a human empowerment and resiliency training. And I have been training in that in Switzerland. And it's really where uh, we work with the autonomic nervous system and okay. the central nervous system. And the autonomic nervous system is where fight, flight, freeze is present. And so it's That's where the actor lives. There we go. Yeah. And because we love to be there and we love to be in intensity, I started to work with that and kind of get to understand it and um, rest and digest came up and mm -hmm. this whole idea of well-being and how that if there was rest and digest, the creative impulses would be actually more alive, more aligned. Intuition started to be more uh, vibrant, colorful, intricate. Um, I found the acting much more detailed. Uh, I found where people could go, they could go deeper and still feel safe. So because I was very, I guess, the intensity of drama schools, I felt sometimes actors were were feeling incredibly overwhelmed. I oh, would yeah. see that in their voices. Yeah, it's a razor's edge. I mean, you know, just from my own drama school experience, I mean, you're going in at 8 o'clock in the morning, you're doing a warm-up and relaxing, and then it's, you know, you know, the Indy 500 for six, seven hours. Yeah. Then you're either learning lines on campus or on site, and then you have to try and go home and get some sleep and then do the same thing again pretty much constantly for the next seven days, even yeah. over your weekends. Yeah. So it's, you know, how do you ally, ally those anxieties 
How do yeah. you how do you how do you make it, uh, you know, a a place uh, more of a place of zen and comfort for people who who are you know ostensibly have to be on edge all the time, really, right? And, and the interesting thing is, it doesn't. It's the most intense part is the training because when yeah. you come out, you're unemployed, so you get to rest and digest. But the problem is, <laughs> actors aren't comfortable being unemployed, and it's just for me, it's about going. You have a life, and and your life mm. is also creative and artistic, and if you can allow your life and form your art form. And like, you know, I didn't study Meisner, but I am someone who, when I read about him, and I, I think he'd even turn in his grave if he thought there was such a thing as the Meisner approach. But I think he was an attorney. There is no Meisner yeah. approach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's really interesting in that, you know, he talked about, you know, be a gardener or a carpenter in your life. Yes. Because the career is so intense. So that sense of... Uh, actors being allowed to to have a life where there is rest and there is digest because you're working on a level of intensity that many other careers don't demand, especially because you're working with vulnerability, you're working mm. with your entire being, in a sense, on a level that other people don't. It's Unless you've been through it or you're working in it, it's very hard to understand mm. um, how draining that can be. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so I developed this well-being and resiliency workshop that goes on once a month mm-hmm. at the studio. And it's really a space where actors can come and for two hours I, I just bring them through different skills that they can then apply to their lives, to being on set, to being on stage, where we're working with the fight, flight, freeze mechanisms and we're bringing mm-hmm. them into a place where creative flow and organic intelligence can start to come to a place where, oh, I can start to enjoy this career yeah. of being an actor. Yes, I'm passionate about it, but <laughs> do I enjoy it? Yeah, I just don't have to beat myself around the head and face with it yeah. all the time. It doesn't have to be a blunt instrument no. all the time. And I think there's a difference between uh, the survival, the creative instinct of survival and the creative instinct of thriving. I think mm. they're very different places to come from. And um, I guess I am, I've am. i always been very uh, interested in the mind and mental disease and, and mental health. Mm. Um, having had people very close to me suffer very deeply from it, who I love, and, and, and also know that they have been probably the people in my life who I've known who've had the most unconditional love because they've known the deepest pain. Yeah. And I knew that from a ver- I, I experienced that from a very young age. So and and I would notice it through the voice and I'd notice it through the tone and the nonverbal and what was unsaid. Mm-hmm. Um so that so so it's something that I'm very intrigued by and I feel that there's a lot we can do and there's so many things out there. Like at the moment there's an amazing 10-day free online course being run by a woman called Tara Brock and it's called Radical Compassion and she just says every single day it's a meditation you listen to and she's got the top kind of neuro the neuroscience of compassion so she's got all kinds of speakers on there Mm -hmm. and just that that's available to us now online we have all this these resources that you can really tap into and I I know for myself as an actress, I was very alive within, let's just say, call it that way. <laughs> so it needed a container. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and for me, that's why I me- I've meditated for 30 years in the sense that I needed something to contain the sensitivity I had in relation mm. to my world so that I could still remain open to it. And I didn't shut down and I didn't fight it or you know, blame it or, you know, so, so that took, and I find that having a meditative practice or, or a physical practice or painting or 
playing your guitar or whatever it might be, that's not just your art form. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be minding your dog. It could be being present with your child. It could be the joy of cooking or, mm-hmm. or reading. Whatever that is, that you're really there when you're cooking. You're really there when you're a parent. You're really there. I think those moments can be incredibly restorative mm-hmm. for us as artists of, yeah. of any kind, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Just a curveball I'm going to throw with you here. Um, just actors, generally speaking, are the best actors empaths or the best actors leaning towards the other end of the spectrum in you know are are both qualities necessary in order to be uh not only successful but to be an actor you know there's that 20 year thing that people say about actors no actor ever feels comfortable being an actor until they're like 20 years into it kind of thing. Or comfortable at least to say, I'm an actor, that's what I do. Yeah, that, 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 that's really interesting. I mean, that I think it takes a very long time to realize one's authentic, kind of truthful, creative process. I think it takes all kinds to be an actor. I don't know that there's... I think you're just as, you know, gifted and nuanced an actor... Um, if you're an empath and, and are compassionate as if, you know, someone, you know, a lot of us, you know, if there's struggles or the shadow side is very, very, very strong, um, I think the only thing that can happen with that is it, it can be less enjoyable mm. and it can lead to a lot more complexities and a more difficult life. Mm-hmm. Um, do I, f- I feel that... We invite a character in, it lives in our bodies, and we embody it, and we express its experience and intentions, and we may never know, be able to describe intellectually what that character is, okay. but we're in the moment of, of another living being, and we're building a belief around that, um, and that brings us places we've never been before, and I, I feel that actors that can kind of, you can either be an actor who's created the skill and craft within your own body to be able to hold the space for that, um, or you have grown up in an environment that has already been challenging and you've taught, you've learned to really be calm within surviving. You mm. know, so this, uh, it's, it's not a, you know, I've so, God, the people who've crossed my doors, which, which is always interesting, I've never, I know, never know who's going to come in the door. <laughs> There's all kinds of people and all kinds of people make great actors. Mm. Um, and I do think it takes a very long time to, to find your own uh, way with it. Yeah, your own uh, authenticity, to, authenticity to be other people. Yeah, and I, and I think that's maturity, that's life experience, that's, um, yeah, it's a craft, And I think the longer, like certainly the longer I'm in it, the more less I feel I know. So the more in the unknown I feel I am. And and I really enjoy that, Mm -hmm. not knowing, uh, you know, which is kind of our state of being. Who are you? Well, I am unknown. You know, mm. as yeah. in, I am this. You are, you know, it's we can't. You know, when you're in experience and you're working from creative flow, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. And I think that's a scary place. And I think it's that that's tricky to be with. Mm. And I think over 20 years, you get used to that unknown, and you start to be able to enjoy it and, and create from it in a way and trust it. It takes trust takes years. Yeah, yeah. I suppose you it's know. that uh, it's that shaky ground of you know. Um, I don't know. That's all I know, and that's be- you know becoming not to oversimplify, but to becoming comfortable with the existential nature of of being. Mm. 
uh, not just relatable to acting or filmmaking or, or being an artist, but as a person. Yeah. It's like well, I have no really control of this roller coaster, so I have to try to be the best version of myself in whatever pursuit I'm involved in. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, I suppose it's finding that comfort, isn't it? Yeah. I suppose that's I, where you come in, right? I, and well, I guess I work with also being with the discomfort and uh, holding it all. Mm. You know, can you be with the comfort, the discomfort? Have you enough awareness to be able to experience it and express it? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and then come out of it. You know, a, yeah. a lot of the work I do is you go deeply into character and now let's look around and can we come out of character? <laughs> and and it's, it's differentiation. I, th- I think that 20-year process is to do with you become more differentiated, less attached, less attached to if I do well, uh, I'm a terrible... If I do well, I'm a great actor. If I, d- I do badly, I'm a terrible actor. So over time, you kind of go, well, no, this is my art form. Mm-hmm. I'm here for my reasons. If you're in, if you're still there after 20 years, you're there because you... You, you want to be there and you want to mm. create and, and you do see it as an art form. Um, and then it, the gratitude comes in if people are interested or people enjoy what it is I have to do, then great. If they don't like it, I respect that. Mm. You know, I, I, I think that that's, you know, I think gratitude takes a long time. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> it's, it has to be felt rather than positively affirmed. Yes, yeah, you know? yeah. It's something that is, uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not felt lightly. No. Where you're completely at at peace with your place and what it is that you're doing, I guess. Yeah. Um, I might just take you back. Um, uh, well, a huge part of this podcast, no matter who we have on in terms of filmmakers, actors, creative types, departmental people, whoever comes in, is um, dealing kind of with the notion of rejection or what that means and the effect that has on oneself and consciousness and how we interact with the world and how we bounce back from that. So that's something I'm, uh, I'll, I'll touch on, which I think, I suppose, is what this whole podcast with you is really all about. Mm. Um, but I might take you back um, just to your own beginnings. Uh, where are you from? What's your star sign? Ah. Um, that kind of stuff. Uh, well, and and how you ended up here? I'm from Clannacilty, West Cork. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we moved to Dublin when I was 10. Right. Um, and then I started as an actress and, uh, I trained as a classical singer. Wow. Okay. Um, so when I left drama school, uh, worked in theater mm-hmm. in, in Ireland and, uh, was always kind of curious. I, I guess I had an eternal curiosity about the workings of the craft of acting always. Mm-hmm. So I ended up then going to London and studying with someone called Philippe Collier, and it was in physical oh. theatre. Um, and then I happened to have two amazing mentors, Andre Ainsworth, who's the voice coach at the Abbey, and Kevin Crawford, and I started to become really interested in the voice. Um, I guess I felt that as an actress, I had enormous emotional availability, but voice was my weakest ah, subject. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to kind of, and I felt that when I came out of drama school, I felt I had lost a certain amount of the intuition I had gone in with. So I wanted to go away and unlearn what drama school had taught me in ways. Okay. And what I understand that now to be was my system was very alive going in, but the way we were trained at the time was we were trained like with diaphragmatic breathing, and that's not really 
where that's that's a kind of working from the central nervous system, but it's what we knew at the time, whereas mm. now we know so much more where we're working with the unconscious and conscious breath, the autonomic and the central nervous system. So for film, that more unconscious breath is really important. But if the body is held, you'll get on film a lot of people de-voicing, dropping their voices, because they're going into fight, flight, or freeze on camera. They, they think that stillness is about... And if the body doesn't move, it sends a, a signal to the brain, there's something wrong, mm -hmm. we're threatened. And just from working on film and working with people on film, I began to realize, oh, okay... Um, these these people are in freeze. That's mm -hmm. why you can't hear them. Yeah, yeah. You know, just move your head. But anyway, it's hard for me. I'm, I've never been asked that question. Where are my beginnings? So tell us all about yourself. Yeah, exactly. That's a tricky one. I'm not used to answering that question. Um, but but it, it's that's. I suppose it's that a Bruce Lee thing, isn't it? That state of flow, be like water. You know, because you react best when. Again, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, but you know that sense of being. Being in a, 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 a place of rest, present, as, as you as you referenced. Um, yeah, it's an alive, alert stillness. But that takes an, that takes a good bit of embodied work to really. Some people have it quite. They're alive, 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 and you have to structure them. You mm. have to give them bottle that, like you said you about to, yourself. Yeah. yeah, you know they ha they they really need the the structure or practice. And I would have been one of those. And then some people are so tight and and held that they they need to be woken up. Mm -hmm. So, so that that that's the craft, you know, and and that when someone's there's an that that like Kate Blanchett says, you know, it's like threading a camel through the eye of a needle. You have this energy in you that's coming through your eyes, but it's your body that's telling the story through your eyes, mm -hmm. um, and and you're working through your image, your sensation, your emotion. You know, so many different channels. Um, yeah. Mm. How important is it for Filmmakers, for example, because uh, this is predominantly uh, a filmmaking podcast. Um, how important is it for filmmakers to um, understand a lot of these practices in terms of uh, being the, their the best, their best selves when they're working? Um, I think it's we had a whole mindfulness podcast uh, previously where we had the film and TV charity and. Um, uh, Fran Keaveney from Screen Skills and one or two others talking about like film is go, go, go particularly for crews obviously is for actors as well but it's very much a mm. case of they nine times out of ten an actor can find a space to go and be and relax and whereas you know a grip or a whoever it is is running around and they don't have time to you know relax i guess so how important is are these practices to people like that i i think for their mental health and well-being really crucial and often i will say to people practice first when you're not in the fire <laughs> you know so so uh, the times when you're not working is the time to introduce the practice yeah so that then when you do work like i have a lot of people come to me for all sorts of reasons who are you know working in Google, eBay, all these different, and are on computers 10, 10 hours a day. And often I'll get them to have an alarm that, mm. that goes off every hour and they take a minute. Yeah. Just to remind them. Ju they take a minute just to look around, to look at the, the most, the calmest, one of the best skills you can do and easiest is to look at your environment, no allow the eyes wander around, notice something that they enjoy, see it. And then connect it to your inner world. Notice what feels good inside. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing is 
your nervous system can't see. It's reliant on what you feed it. And we feed it through our mind and we feed it through our eyes. So we take 75% of our information in through our eyes. So this is why when we close our eyes and we imagine something, our nervous system thinks it's the same. It doesn't. It can't tell the difference between what the eye sees or when we close our eyes, what we imagine, right? Which mm-hmm. is a wonderful sk- skill for, for actors and all, all kinds of artists. But for someone like who's going around and they're working on a film set, what, 12 hours a day or more? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's a discipline, but it's trying to find what in my environment right now can feed my system that I'm okay. And, and, and how we do that is, like if I went into the jungle, the first thing I'd look around and go, where am I going to sleep? What am I going to eat? And where is the danger? And where is the tallest tree that I need to <laughs> climb to in order to be safe? So you're feeding your system information from the environment that you're okay. And what that does to the autonomic nervous system is it brings it down. You cha- your breathing changes, your unconscious and voluntary breath changes. It's a really simple exercise, but it, is, it can be a game changer. It's, it's the one I teach my actors when they walk on a film set. If they're feeling overwhelmed or they want the set, the set is theirs. It's their home. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I begin to see the different parts of that. And then I have to connect it to my inner world. So then I notice what feels good about that is the important question. Mm-hmm. And for, for many people who are working on a film set and they've been working in that intensity, often they can't feel anything because yeah. they're in freeze, right? And um, so what feels okay is enough for a question to ask yeah. or what feels neutral yeah, yeah. because at least you're bringing the mind out and around, which is why for people who's, who are kind of suffering from depression or there's a lot going on inside, if you go to meditation, you close your eyes, it can be the worst thing to possibly do because then you've closed your eyes, shut out the environment, and you're left with the environment you have inside, Mm -hmm. which hasn't created the safety yet. So depending on where you are, you have to choose a different kind of meditative practice. So a lot of the work we do with organic intelligence is, and if we're working with trauma, so I moderate on this end of trauma online course that goes out across the world. And we started it last year, launched it last year. But we're working with people online and we spend three weeks of that nine-week course really teaching people how to orient their environment so their their system can start to start to begin to reorganize itself and the yeah. neuroplasticity of the brain can start to change and evolve mm-hmm. and go, oh, oh, because there's an addiction to the what's wrong attention. Yeah, and if yeah. there's an addiction to what's wrong attention, then that's where... Wherever my attention goes, that's where my energy goes. Yeah. So it's a job. It is a job for anybody who's working in that intense environment to go, first of all, they have to go, I really need this because if I don't, I'm actually not enjoying this anymore. And if they're in freeze and they're in shutdown, um, they're not feeling their life. Yeah, right, yeah. Which is such it, a it's, a fu- it's a funk and they need to get out of that funk. Yeah. Or find a way of coping with that funk. Do you think there is a market or a necessity rather for uh, for film organizations, not just film network Ireland, but in general terms, in in terms of um, exploring uh, some of these, I I, issues. I I guess I feel I feel very strongly about it from the point of view of the kind of storytelling we 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 have right now and that we create right now because I think it's make or break right now for the planet. And I feel that we need a whole load of storytellers who have the space not to feel that underlining conditioned uh, anxiety and fear and who are brave enough to go, we have the power within the industry that we have 
to tell a different narrative, to mm-hmm. influence our audiences with the stories we tell. And right now, what, what we want to do is bring people back home to their human experience right. so they can feel more connected to their own nature. And if they're more connected to their own nature, they'll be more connected to nature mm-hmm. in general. And, and that is where we're at. We have a desynchronicity. Uh, across the planet and what we want to do is resync that system so that the trauma the anxiety that we're feeling is a very natural response to the fact that the whole world is is really heated now and yeah. so are our systems well we're really not supposed to be in concrete boxes mm. in large buildings all the time away from natural light and greenery and botany right yeah um do you think um how, like, how are we going to cope with the problem that is social media? In uh, in, ter- in in terms of the effect, the knock-on effect that the, that that's having on society, but more specifically, younger generations that are inadvertently being drastically affected by this and have yeah. no real idea what they're in. Yeah. So I I feel, and again, it's 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 a, a huge topic because I have a thirteen-year-old daughter. So I feel we need to follow. Finland, and first of all, we need to um, educate our any child that is given a piece of technology. Mm-hmm. Once they come of age, to be able to cognitively understand, we need to inform them of 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 how to protect themselves within it. Like in Finland, they they say that the reason why the elections went the way they did was because they introduce into their schools. Um, social media savvy and ethics there's a word for it that i can't remember that just um but it, so they can recognize fake news mm-hmm. so they can so so there's a lot that i feel we haven't we need to get to the level where in school our and i know schools are are definitely you know that is happening are informing in particular the group i am most concerned about mm-hmm. are our our children and teenagers mm-hmm. and and it, it, like we've just launched a program now internationally to all the teachers across Ireland um, to, to say to kind of give organic intelligence workshops to the teachers yeah. so that they can introduce these skills to their students to bring down the anxiety levels that these um, phones are creating. Because I was asked to go to the Drama League of Ireland a couple of years back and I was driving down and on my way down there were these two psychologists speaking and they were asked why is it that there's such high levels of anxiety in our children and they said it's the introduction of the smartphone. Yeah. As, as a father of a 10-year-old girl, girl I know exactly, you know, I, I think she's compared to some other children I've seen firsthand. I think she's relatively good, but she still pines for this thing, this mystery box that she doesn't quite understand. And I'm very concerned about the long term knock on effect, not not just for her own psychology, but, you know, in terms of online bullying, all these these other issues, but also in terms of her attention span and her achieving. And, you know, I know there are advantages to having information at your fingertips and so on, but... I guess there's no point in having all of this wonderful information at your fingertips if you are afraid to leave the house. No, and yeah. and I think it's it's about informing them mm. um, that this is part of their lives, mm-hmm. but it needs discipline. And it has. I I know 
Now my daughter is she's very savvy with using it. But the, the, it it took it was the hardest part of parenting to know. Mm. And and I mean, but I introduced it very. You know, she was the last person to have a mobile phone, and of course, I didn't want her to feel, you know, that she was out of the circle. But it wasn't necessary. Mm-hmm. It, but secondary school, it's a different kettle of fish. People are connecting through all these things, and that's fine. And and. There through Snapchat and TikTok. I actually quite like TikTok. TikTok's a lot of fun. Until a point. Yeah. But I think I'm actually blown away by the fact <laughs> that these kids are in their bedrooms and in the in the playground or in the, I shouldn't call it the playground now, she's in secondary school, I don't know what they call it, in the yard. Um, <laughs> uh, and they're dancing. And yeah. I love that they're dancing. Yeah, and I yeah. love that they're sharing these dances. So that's the first thing I went, okay, now we have a tribal dance going all over the world that these kids are learning, which is kind of amazing. And I know an article came out and said that, talked about the pedophile ring that's 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 targeting not only Snapchat, but TikTok. So again, it's about information. And I, I, I think we can't, they have to be using them mindfully. Mm-hmm. Quick question before we wrap up. Um, and we ask, Everybody that comes on, it's very kind of uh, black and white kind of question. But how do you, in a sentence, deal with rejection? I no pressure. I feel it <laughs> deeply. Yeah. First, I notice my response to it. You acknowledge it. I really acknowledge it, okay. and I, I, I guess I, I go to a felt sense with it rather than an intellectual sense with it I think if I go to the intellect it'll just go on to a paranoid narrative Mm -hmm. even though the narrative might be there I try and kind of just give the what's wrong attention to it but um yeah and 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 sit with it and allow it kind of have its have its process and I feel if I don't feed it too much narrative like I would do Mm -hmm. in a story but in my life it's probably not so beneficial it's just giving it the time to, mm-hmm. to, and then I, I feel that little by little that rejection then gets easier in a sense because I'm accepting it as I'm accepting my own human response to it mm-hmm. uh, first and foremost. Actually, Tarbrock has brilliant ways of working with that too. So okay. there's lots of stuff out there for people to, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I guess, first of all, thanks a million for coming on. It's been great. I've been chasing you for ages. <laughs> I'm delighted to have you on. Yeah, um, And maybe that's me. something maybe overall we might explore with F&I um, in terms of bringing, um, I suppose, your message to a wider audience. Um, if you'd like to know more about Helena and her work uh, and classes, uh, you can head on over to helenawalshvoicecoach.com uh, and you can find out um, as if you needed more evidence that she's sound and very good at what she does uh, you can find out more information uh, there um, anything coming up that you'd like to let people know about anything they might be able to sign up so on so we have a well-being and resiliency workshop next week and mm-hmm. I should say we have a free listening project that happens every single Friday um, on O'Connell Street at 2 o'clock so if you want to come along and are interested in finding out about it, it you can look at urbanconfessionals.org um, it's part of an international organisation run by a friend Okay, uh, thank you very much mm-hmm. you're very good thank you thank you <laughs>